Well, good morning and Merry Christmas Eve to you. Uh, great to be here with you again this Tuesday morning as we do every Tuesday morning to gather around God's Word and to uh, listen to some devotion to it. Um, and uh, usually what I do is, you know, I'll look through uh, various texts and uh, we might be going through a book or something like that. And then I'll uh, give you a, a brief interpretation of what I think the text says and, of course, how the gospel applies to us in everyday life. But today I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, we're going to, instead of hearing from me, we're going to hear from Martin Luther. And uh, the reason I wanted to do this today uh, is, well, there's a few reasons. Number one, I have said for the longest time to anybody that is willing to listen to me, I have basically begged them to get a hold of Luther's sermons, his house postals, or what they have been called. They're, they're very accessible. You can buy them on just about any Christian website. They look like this, or at least they did. Uh, it's seven volumes. It's not, um, but, but his preaching is just filled to the brim with wonderful gospel-rich uh, application, wonderful interpretation. He preaches as if he's talking to, as if um, the, the words from the page of Scripture are directly uh, relevant to every single moment of our lives. It is truly great preaching, truly great exposition of God's Word. And so I've, I've always said to people, please, please, please read Luther's sermons. Whether you're a pastor or not, doesn't matter to me. It's accessible for everybody. And so I figured, you know, rather than just say that, why not actually read from him? Now, uh, this is one of my favorite sermons in his long, long list of sermons, of course. Uh, this one is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Of course, a very uh, familiar prophecy that's read around Christmas time, very specifically about Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do is we'll read this brief verse uh, from chapter 9, verse 6. And then uh, I will go ahead and just read uh, his sermon today for our devotion. It's not long. It's not like a typical sermon. Uh, it's a little shorter than what you might be used to. It was preached originally on uh, December 25th, Christmas afternoon of 1531. So we're listening to a message that's nearly 500 years old. And yet I think what you will find is that it is directly applicable to you today on this Christmas Eve. So, here's the verse. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. End of reading. The Holy Prophet sings this song, For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given. You heard yesterday how this child belongs to us and how we are to receive him in order properly to understand this article of the faith, quote, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, end quote. We are always to add, for us. For whom was he conceived and born? For whom did he suffer and die? For us, for us, for us. Always add us. 
That is why the fathers rightly put the word in the creed and in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We should relate this word to every sentence, conceived for us and born for us, suffered for us and raised for us, ascended for us, and sitting at the right hand of God for us. For it is no accident that the words, I believe in God the Father and Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, are followed by, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. With these words, we seek to take him unto ourselves, to make him our Lord, the head of our family, our Father. Everything in the creed stands under this for us. It is like when I say, and in Jesus Christ, and must add in my mind the, quote, I believe. In the same way, this word, our Lord, must be included with all the following sentences, so they don't just stand there naked. They are all about us. Christ didn't need these works. He would have remained a Lord quite well without them. Rather, his conception and birth, his suffering and death, his ascension and sitting at the right hand are all for our benefit. They belong to us. Note that well. That is why Isaiah says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It is like when women approach a baby's cradle and say, oh, a baby, what is it? And I answer, it's a boy and he's ours. What an incredible thing to say that all of us should somehow be the mothers of one whom we have not carried in our womb. He is given to us as though he were our own son. How proud and honored we are that he is our son, that he belongs to us. But it is not enough that he is born to us. He is also given to us. What does given mean? He is a pure gift, a present. There is nothing I have to give or pay in return. Woe to the godless and ungrateful world that disdains this gift. It says in the Bible, a virgin shall bear a son, and he will be mine just as surely as ten guilders someone might give me. How shall we not believe this when all the prophets have borne witness to it? And now we have the gift, and we still don't believe. Shame on you. We are not worthy of hearing one word about him. Consider these two words, born and given, a son given, a child born, and he was born of Mary the virgin. That such a son would be born was to be a sign, as even the Jews believe. What will he be called? The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is too much for one sermon. Moreover, you, you have it better in the book than I can preach it now. But that is what he is called, and he is a Lord. That is just what the angels said to the shepherds. He is Christ the Lord. And no ordinary Lord, for one whom the angels call Lord is a genuine Lord, not only over human beings, but even over the angels. The angels get it right. To you is born this day as a Savior. But your Savior, they say, is Lord of both you and us. Isaiah, however, stays down here on earth saying, He is the kind of Lord who takes the government on his shoulder, and thus a genuine Lord. Let whoever can figure out what that means. A unique and wonderful Lord who wears his authority around his neck. This shows how the rule of Christ differs from the kingdoms of this world. For Christ says the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
They have to exercise power to rule strictly and make use of the law. But they do not need, but they do not need to fleece and flail people. All secular governments have to rule and punish with severity, but it is only the villains and tyrants who fleece and flail their people. In the latter case, the subjects have to carry these lords, magistrates, heads of family, etc. on their shoulders, and they do have to carry them, or the tyrants will be on them with blows and executioners. But we are speaking here of good rulers, not of tyrants, yet even the good authorities are carried on the shoulders of their subjects. But the rule of that son, who was born to us, works the other way around. He carries us. We rest on his shoulders. He is our bearer. See how Isaiah turns everything around contrary to the customs of the world. Where is Christ's rule, his land, and his people? Our duke's rule, including Saxony, Thuringia, and Mason. But Christ's rule includes all believers of whom he is Lord. So we are his people and his land. And where is his government? On his shoulder. This is wonderful. Christ's kingdom is not under his feet, nor is it in Rome or in Babylon. It is on his shoulder. There is no way I can describe this. If someone asks, where is Christ's rule? Is it in Rome? Is it in Compostela? Is it in Wittenberg? The answer is, of course. Briefly put, it is on his shoulder. We see artists' renditions of this, but I would advise the painters to put the church on the child's shoulders rather than the cross. We just have to put up with the fact that the godless papists, the rabble, and the peasants all have our word and sacraments, but only those are Christians who are on his shoulder. That is, those who firmly trust him and allow themselves to be carried by him like the lost sheep. To sum up, no one is a Christian who does not rest on the shoulder of Christ. This is what Isaiah said. This means that I believe that he has paid everything for me, that my sins and my death are his cross. What that I could, would that I could say this, I know no other comfort than to rest on the shoulder of this man. All who are held firmly on his shoulder are Christians. He must pay for us. He must make satisfaction and suffer. He must carry us, not we him. He does not want to be served, but to serve and to carry us. He says, I will give you everything. All your guilt will be on my shoulder. All the saints, whatever their names, Isaiah, Peter, Paul, from the greatest to the least, they are all on his shoulder. That is his government. Those who are not on his shoulder are not under his rule. Thus, here you see the very definition of the Son, the one who carries his subjects on his shoulder. And we are those subjects. If the foolish followers of the Pope who want to kill us only believe this, they would rethink their plan. They want to carry Christ themselves back and forth. They carry him with their works and their merits, but he will prove too heavy for them. The sheep must say instead, Dear shepherd, you carry me, not I you. It would be some crazy sheep that wanted to carry him. Would it ever get something to carry? But Christ says, hop on, I will carry you well, and all your sins are forgiven. And the world persecutes this treasure of the kingdom of Christ. Isaiah says, you have the son, so hop on. We should gladly and confidently run to him, believing that he will answer for us and pay for us. Amen. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week.